This is day 10 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be reading Genesis chapters 37 through 40 and Psalm chapter 10. Lord God, we thank you for this day, and we recognize today your sovereignty, Lord. You rule over all. You are above all, and you are not affected by any of it. We thank you, Lord, for being in complete control of your creation, even our own lives, all the things that are seen and all the things that are unseen, all the things that are on this world and all the things going on in the distant galaxies. You are in control of it all. We thank you, Lord, for being so powerful and so independent. And we recognize today, Lord, that there is nothing that we can do that is able to disrupt your plans. And there is nothing that we can do that can fully separate us from you. No one is beyond your reach. And we thank you for that privilege, Lord, to have the opportunity to be given salvation. As we enter into your word, Lord, help us to see your sovereignty today. Help us to see your hand guiding the destiny of our lives and the lives of your people in the Bible. Please bless this reading in Jesus' name. Amen. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when seventeen years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. When Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us, or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now he had still another dream, and related it to his brothers, and said, Lo, I have had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him, and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. Then he said to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, 
and he came to Shechem. A man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, What are you looking for? He said, I am looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. Then the man said, They have moved from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. When they saw him from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Now then, come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say, A wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, Let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the varicolored tunic that was on him, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. So they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. So he tore his garments. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the varicolored tunic and brought it to their father and said, We found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. And it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite, 
whose name was Hira. Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua, and he took her and went into her. So she conceived and bore a son, and he named him Ur. Then she conceived again and bore a son and named him Onan. She bore still another son and named him Shelah, and it was at Chazib that she bore him. Now Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Onan, Go in to your brother's wife, and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her, and raise up offspring for your brother. Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to his brother. But what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord. So he took his life also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, I am afraid that he too may die like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. Now after a considerable time, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. And when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. It was told to Tamar, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in the gateway of Eniam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah had grown up and she had not been given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, for she had covered her face. So he turned aside to her by the road and said, Here now, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? He said, Therefore, I will send you a young goat from the flock. She said, Moreover, Will you give a pledge until you send it? He said, What pledge shall I give you? And she said, Your seal and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and departed and removed her veil and put on her widow's garments. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. He asked the men of her place, saying, Where is the temple prostitute who was by the road at Aniam? But they said, There has been no temple prostitute here. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the men of the place said, There has been no temple prostitute here. Then Judah said, Let her keep them. Otherwise, we will become a laughingstock. After all, 
I sent this young goat, but you did not find her. Now it was about three months later that Judah was informed, Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has played the harlot, and behold, she is also with child by harlotry. Then Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. It was while she was being brought out that she sent to her father-in-law, saying, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. And she said, Please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff are these. Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her to my son Shelah. And he did not have relations with her again. It came about at the time she was giving birth that, behold, there were twins in her womb. Moreover, it took place while she was giving birth. One put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But it came about as he drew back his hand that, behold, his brother came out. Then she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. So he was named Perez. Afterward, his brother came out, who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and he was named Zerah. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house. And all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned, in the field and in the house. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused, and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I go and do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. She caught him by his garment, and said, 
lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I screamed. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to me to make sport of me, and as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials, who were with him in confinement in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, We have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph, and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. And as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer.
Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of the house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. And the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh off you. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he had made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Psalm chapter 10 Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In pride the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of its heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked, in the haughtiness of his countenance, does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his adversaries, he snorts at them. He says to himself, I will not be moved. Throughout all generations, I will not be in adversity. His mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the hiding places, he kills the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the unfortunate. He lurks in a hiding place as a lion in his lair. He lurks to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws him into his net. He crouches, he bows down, and the unfortunate fall by his mighty ones. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the afflicted. Why has the wicked spurned God? He has said to himself, You will not require it. You have seen it. You have beheld mischief and vexation to take it into your hand. The unfortunate commits himself to you. You have been the helper of the orphan. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever 
and ever. Nations have perished from his land. O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. Okay, chapter 37 shows the beginning of Joseph. We're moving away from Jacob being the main character, and now Joseph is going to be on the spotlight for pretty much the rest of Genesis. Now, of course, I love the Bible in general, but one of the things I really love about the Bible is that it doesn't hold back the flaws of its characters. These are real historical people. But beyond just the wonderful things that God did through them, it also shows all of their weaknesses too, to remind us that the human condition is a timeless thing. The same things that Jacob dealt with, we deal with it too, in its own way. And this is no exception. Joseph was 17 years old, and he is the second youngest of all his brothers. And the Bible makes it very clear that Jacob picked favorites. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And the reason that he loved him was because he was the son of his old age. But in addition to that, he is the firstborn of his beloved wife, Rachel. So he had his favorite wife, and now he's got the son of his favorite wife. Therefore, that is his favorite son. It would make sense that way. But Joseph, you can tell, was blessed by God. Now, I'm not sure if he did this intentionally or not, but either Joseph was just really comfortable with his brothers to share the dreams that he was having with them, or he was doing it with an air of arrogance. I don't really know. Given Joseph's character, it doesn't seem to be out of arrogance, but rather just to show, hey, look, this is the kind of dream I have. I want to tell you guys about it. Isn't it weird? And his brothers are like, yeah, that's great. You really think we're going to bow down to you someday? You think somehow you're going to reign supreme even over your parents? Which the sun and the moon represent that, your mother and your father. So yeah, that really irritated the brothers. But the fact that it irritated them so much that they wanted to kill him, I don't know if that is an appropriate response. Either Joseph was a really annoying brother, or it was really an expression of the sin that is going on in their lives, the wickedness that lies in their hearts. It really goes to show there's something going on with this family. Jacob was led by God, but he made a lot of mistakes in his youth. And what I also find odd is as we go into the story about Judah and his kids, it always made me wonder why God spared the brothers who mass-murdered a bunch of people in revenge for their sister Dinah. Because God didn't take their lives, and yet he allowed the lives of Judah's sons to be taken. So that's very interesting how that is. But it really shows, like I prayed at the beginning, the sovereignty of God in all this. God knew exactly what he was doing. God allowed certain people to live, and he allowed certain people to die. Because in the sight of God, we are all wicked. 
We can look at what Joseph's brothers did and be angry with them. We can look at Judah and his issues, and we can say that we're better than them somehow. But that's not true at all. We all have the same root problem. We are sinners. We can't forget that. So as the story goes, Joseph was sold into slavery to Potiphar, the captain of the Egyptian guard. And we'll get to him after we see what happened with Judah. So Judah had two sons, Ur and Onan. Ur apparently was a really bad guy, so he died. And then Onan was supposed to do his legal right, which was to marry the widow of his brother, in order to continue the family name. But Onan did what was disrespectful in not only Judah's sight, but also in God's sight. So instead of finishing the process with the woman, he did it outside of that, if you know what I mean. And that's not what he was told to do. And so that heart issue within Onan, that disrespect and defiance, just caused him to be killed as well. Then we see Judah and Tamar both do stupid things here. Judah fell for a temple prostitute, which in itself is a wrong thing to do. And this was after his Canaanite wife had died. So whether it's to comfort himself or whatever, we don't know. But regardless, he sees his daughter-in-law as a prostitute, and they do their deed, and she gets pregnant from him. So it's a whole big messed up thing. But don't forget who this is. This is Judah. The line of Judah is going to go down to the Christ. Don't you see what God is doing in all this? God is showing that even through all the stupidity and foolishness and evil of man, even this can lead to the Redeemer. Good can come out of this. So we can't forget that. We cannot ignore God's sovereignty in these matters. And we also cannot just dismiss people. And that's something that I think is something we need to learn from this. They were both wrong. All of them involved were wrong in what they did. But at the end, when Tamar had twins, one of them was named Perez and the other was named Zerah. And Perez, if you look in Matthew chapter 1, Perez is mentioned as an ancestor of Jesus Christ. God is able to redeem no matter what man can do. And so we have this beautiful illustration here. Despite all the evil that men can do, God cannot be thwarted. God has a plan. And it just shows how desperately we as human beings need a Savior. Because again, we are not as righteous as we may think. We may want to look at these characters and say that we are somehow better than them, but that is not the case. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yours is just different looking. But anyway, we go into chapter 39, which shows a famous story that most kids grew up with in church, if that happened to apply to you. And we see that everything Joseph did was prosperous, because God's sovereign right chose to back up Joseph. If Joseph was really this close to God at such a young age, why did he even get taken into slavery to begin with? 
And I simply just can't make this up, but this is how God works, and it's so awesome. We read Psalm chapter 10, which is also about the sovereignty of God and how it seems like the wicked get away with it. And then it asks the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Joseph was a good person, and bad things happened to him. But we know, and Joseph will tell us later, that it all happened for a reason, and it was God's sovereign right to do it. We can feel sorry for Joseph, and yes, what he went through was terrible. No one should have had to go through being sold into slavery or being imprisoned wrongfully. But we know what's going to happen afterwards, and it's wonderful what happens and what God allowed Joseph to do through it. God sometimes puts us in these trials in order to temper us, to mold us, to shape us into the person he wants us to be. These trials have a purpose. Read the book of James, or listen to the series that we've been doing on that. This all happens for a reason. All these difficulties, all these trials, some of them are just a natural consequence of being in a sinful world. But some of them, and you can tell which ones they are, but some of these situations that we're put in is God speaking to you and showing you how to overcome things, how to grow in maturity, and in those hard times, to seek refuge in him rather than in something else. Joseph fully embraced God's design and his purpose for him. We see that throughout him being manager of the household of Potiphar. We see him doing the right thing in the presence of Potiphar's wife refusing to give in to the temptation of lust and her advances toward him. And he also did the correct thing when it comes to adultery and sexual immorality. The New Testament says it very plainly, flee sexual immorality. There's no resisting it, because if you try to resist it, you will likely succumb to it. You are to flee from it. What did he do? When she grabbed him, hey, you're going to come with me right now. You can have my cloak. Take it. I'm out of here. It ended up being evidence used against him wrongfully, but it was the proper course of action. What he did was correct. He fled the scene, not out of guilt, but out of avoiding the situation. God blessed him through that. And even though he was put in jail, it says that he was able to have good relationships with the jailer, and he was basically the jail manager while being a prisoner himself. God worked wonderful things in him. And one thing he also gave him was the ability to understand dreams. And so he has two people that entered into his life that had dreams. One ended poorly for that person, and the other one ended favorably for that person. And Joseph asked for only one thing in return. Please remember me when you get out. Please don't forget who told you the interpretation of this dream. And when you get your status restored, put in a good word for me with Pharaoh so I can get the heck out of here. But he forgot about Joseph for a time. We'll see what happens next time with Joseph and see him being exalted to vice president, if you will, of Egypt. Psalm chapter 10, like we talked about prior, 
is that the psalmist is just explaining in greater detail the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of the wicked, especially those who oppress the afflicted. And sometimes it may feel like God isn't doing anything. It seems like he lets them get away with it. But again, we understand two things about God. One is that he is judge. He will get vengeance for them. Judgment will happen, whether it's in this lifetime or in front of God's throne in judgment at the end. Either way, they will not get away with it. God will never allow the wicked to prosper forever. They might have their fun while they are in the flesh, but if God does not punish the wicked in hell, then he is a liar. He is picking favorites. He shows partiality, and that simply is not God's character. That is countered many times throughout Scripture, that there is no partiality with God. God's judgment is sure. It may not be in our timing, but it will always be in his timing. But then we see this psalmist understand more of who God is and expresses his confidence that God is going to answer his prayers. We don't really know who the psalmist is on this, but you can kind of tell by the way it's written that it's probably David. And he understands who God is. He's the one who helps the orphan. He's the one who protects the oppressed. He vindicates those that are being treated poorly. He is king forever and ever. He understands exactly who God is. None of this has escaped God's eye. We can convince ourselves that God isn't seeing our sin, but he always sees our sin. He is everywhere, and he knows everything. There is no way that we can sin, and he's not aware of it. That should scare us to some degree. Or rather, that should put a healthy dose of fear into us. And that is part of what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. Reverence, respect, awe for who he is and what he is capable of. And out of that respect, we are obedient to him. That's what it means to call him king or lord of your life. He is not simply your savior. He is also your lord. And that should make a difference on the decisions we make. Our scripture to memorize today is going to be Psalm chapter 10, verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from his land. And rightly so. There has not been a single empire in history that has lasted. All governments and all powers have collapsed and lay in ruins in front of God. Any ungodly agendas, God will enact his judgment on. There is no one who is exempt from this. If God is willing to sacrifice his son for our sins, and if he is willing to put his chosen people, the Jews, into captivity multiple times in their history, then certainly he will cause evil empires to fall, evil governments to be dissolved. Nations have indeed perished from his land throughout history and it will continue to be that way until he returns. But really, above all, Jesus Christ is the King of kings 
and the Lord of Lords. He chooses who comes into power, and he chooses governments that will be destroyed. It is all within his sovereign right. And with that, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.